I'm out here in the woods and just walking a trail. Let me show you something. See that little deer over there? Anyway, I like spending time out in the woods. Many of you know I like to camp. And uh, last October, I took a survival course. It was a three-day survival course on how to survive when you're out in the woods. And the instructor covered the usual stuff, uh, where to find food, talked about animal behavior, uh, talked about how to navigate with the, with the sun, uh, talked about making fire. Wow, look at this. This little guy's really on me. Hi there, little guy. But anyway, we, we covered a lot of we covered a lot of subjects. And one of the big things the instructor talked about was what you absolutely need in a survival situation. Because you can go without food for, oh, he said up to three to four weeks. Um, but there is one thing you absolutely need. You need water. Because without water, you'll die within two or three days. You have to have water. So one of the first priorities in a survival situation is you want to find water. Now, water in the wintertime is not so hard to find, uh, particularly if it snowed, because then you can just take and uh, you never eat the top of the snow. You clear a spot, and then you eat what's underneath. You take a handful, and you can get hydrated that, that way. Um, but in the summertime, it gets a little more challenging. You have to, you have to dig under certain plants. You look for a stream that's, that's running. Uh, and if it's in a dry, arid climate, then, then it becomes problematic. But water, water is the number one thing that you need to survive. So the, the instructor told us that that's the first thing that you, you look for. And I'll show you where you can get some water right here. I'm right on the edge of a stream here, so this would be a pretty good survival place. Um, particularly, I still got some visitors here, if you can see. For some reason, those deer have hovered close to me. But back when I, in October, when I took the survival course, um, I started thinking about Christian survival. And we're in a world where we are having to survive. Uh, until we see Jesus. And so I've outlined this series around the basic survival needs when you were in the wilderness. But I'm applying a spiritual principle to it. And the first one today that we're going to talk about is water. And I want you to have your Bibles open to John chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, and then 39, John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. And we're going to talk about water today. And it's absolutely necessary to have this water, not only to live here in this world, but to see Jesus face to face. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. All right, let's get ready. That's the first time I've made an outdoor video. <laughs> what I didn't show you was the first, uh, I had four attempts at it. The first time I tripped over a log. <laughs> which might have gone into survival and fixing your leg, but um, very interesting. You couldn't see the deer, and I was disappointed with that aspect of it because the deer were only like 30 yards away, and they kept moving closer to me as I was walking. Um, 
But we're going to talk about, in this series, we're going to talk about survival. Today we're going to focus on living water. It's a very familiar text. Many of you know it. Uh, the setting for John chapter 4 is that, it, right at the beginning of John chapter 4, it talks about that the Pharisees were becoming alert to the disciples growing. In other words, it was growing in number. And so Jesus then leaves Judea. He doesn't confront the Pharisees. He just leaves Judea, and he heads towards Galilee. And on the way, he stops in Samaria. So here you have Judea. And what's so fascinating about this is most Jews would not even go through Samaria. What they would do is they would go around it. If they were over here, they'd go around the sea just to get through oh, uh, past Samaria. But Jesus goes from Judea straight to Samaria. And there he encounters a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And here's a scholars believe this is exactly where uh, Jacob's well is. So here you have the confrontation of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Another thought here is that Jews did not talk to Samaritans and they didn't particularly talk to Samaritan women. And so what we're going to learn today is that Jesus gives living water. Jesus gives living water. Jesus knows, he says here in a little bit of a conversation before it, I, I, I omitted that for the sake of the sermon purpose, but at this, in verse 13, he confronts her, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of this water. So Jesus now is using a physical object to make a spiritual connection. He's using the well that the woman was drawing water out of to make a spiritual connection to kingdom principles. That is, you are, you're, you're dealing here with physical water. What I'm getting ready to explain to you is spiritual water. And there's a huge difference. Now, when you look at water, Water is absolutely vital. and In fact, I'll keep making reference to survival situations. Um, animals need water to survive. So when you are in a survival situation, uh, outdoors that is, if you're looking for food or you're looking because you're hungry, you would instantly try to find the place where you have a large mass of water because the animals will go down to that water hole to drink. They need water. Uh, water is also vital for, the, or for uh, the, the vegetation, for grass, for plants. You need water to survive. What about fish? Well, if you take the fish out of the water, they will die, so they need water. But we also, because God has created this ecosystem, we also need water. And I don't think a lot of us get enough water that we need to be getting because I'm getting ready to show you the 8 and 8 principle. 8 ounces of water, 8 times a day. So that's what? 64 ounces. Now what happens if you drink at least 64 ounces? And sometimes it depends on body weight and, and all that. But uh, water boosts energy. It helps our muscles and, and it will help produce energy. Secondly, water helps with weight loss. In a survival situation, the instructor taught us that when, when you're in an area where you have no food and you have no prospect of food for several days, he said, drink 
gallons and gallons of water, as much as you can, because it fills you up and the hunger subsides. And ultimately, uh, it will help you lose weight. And of course, in a survival situation, you don't want to spend too many calories a day because then you start getting weaker. But in a temporary fix situation, you drink lots of water. It knocks the hunger out. Thirdly, water aids in digestion, uh, helps move uh, to digest the food that is in your, in your stomach. It detoxifies. Water detoxifies. It moves toxins out of your body. And it also optimizes your kidneys. Isn't it amazing how God, uh, God designed our, our bodies for the need of water? And uh, depending on which scientist you look at or which person you listen to, uh, some say we're 98% water. That's not quite accurate. It's 68 to 78%. Uh, of what our body's made of. So you have to replenish that. You have to get water back into your system. It hydrates the skin. It slows the aging and also reduces wrinkles. And one article that I read said people spend tons of money for this anti-aging wrinkle cream when really all they need to do is drink more water in a lot of cases. Um, so water's vital. We cannot survive without water. God knew that. But Jesus' point here, when he says everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, he is simply making a point of this is temporal. You have to keep doing this over and over and over again. But this woman, as you go on and you read the narrative here, she didn't quite get it. She was focused more on the temporal. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes, James 4.14. Jesus is trying to move the Samaritan woman from a temporal to a spiritual dimension. And he uses the water that she has gone to get and draw for her family, for herself. And Jesus says, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, don't you know I'm a Samaritan woman? You shouldn't be talking to me. And Jesus says... If you know who was talking to you, you would want the spiritual water that I give. Now, Jesus here draws the contrast. That's the physical. Now he gets to the spiritual. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. On one end, she goes to that well day after day after day. She gets the water, whatever she needs that water for, drinking, cooking, whatever. She goes to that well day after day after day. Now Jesus is entering something totally different. What does he mean? If I drink from the water that he will give me, I will never thirst again. That, that's, that's a new dimension. She's never heard that before. And he continued reading the narrative, you would find that that would hold water. What I find interesting here is, what I find interesting here is Jesus is speaking about a physical versus a spiritual dimension. And in the physical dimension, she will have to keep drinking this water over and over and over again. But she only has to drink this water one time. If you take this water, you will never thirst again. You know, this kind of reminds me, and I, Jesus may have been hitting at this, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then having fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm 
and holding him up to contempt. I believe here Jesus is pointing to the fact that you, uh, this physical water you're going to need over and over and over and over again, but when I give you water, you only need it one time, and it will take care of everything. I believe Jesus here is pointing to the fact that you can only be saved as many times as Christ died. Christ died once, and if you could lose your salvation, the writer of Hebrews would argue, if you could lose your salvation, then you have to crucify Christ all over again so that you can be saved again. And here Jesus is saying this spiritual water is not like the physical water. You'll need it over and over and over again. And I, I know people uh, that believe they get saved over and over and over again. And here Jesus is pointing to the fact that this is a one-time deal. And it is not sinking with this woman yet. Now notice verse 14b. The water that I will give him the water that I will give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. Ionios is the word for eternal. Ionios. And it means pertaining to an unlimited time or duration of time. In other words, there's really no set limit of time. When you look at the, wife, uh, the life, the word life, zoe, it refers to being alive. So if you put these two words together, it means to be alive without time restraints. Well, we've already learned that if you have the physical water and you don't drink it, you'll die within a short period of time. But if you take the spiritual water, you will drink it. And you will not only never thirst again, but you will live without restraint. There'll be no time restrictions. We're so used to time restrictions. We come to church, service lasts an hour, depending on how long Pastor Mike preaches, after the songs are, are, are sung. Um, we go to football, baseball games. They all have a set period. It may go 13, 14 innings, but the bottom line is that ends. Many of us go to, uh, go, go to work. You get to work at 8. You get off at 5 or whatever time it is. There's a set time. So when we start talking about endless time, it kind of short circuits our mind because we're not used to that. And yet Jesus said, if you will take the water that I will give you, you'll never thirst again. And by the way, you also will not have any time restrictions when you die. Lou and Nida writes this. If, anyone, uh, if one translates eternal life simply as never dying, there may be serious misunderstandings since the person may also assume that never dying refers, to, uh, refers only to the physical existence rather than to, the spiritual, rather than to spiritual death. Accordingly, some translators, and I agree with this, have rendered eternal life as unending real life so as to introduce a qualitative distinction. Real living doesn't happen until you receive the life-giving water of Jesus Christ. That's when real life begins. The Apostle Paul and others in the, in the New Testament has written, they are like dead people that are walking. They're not alive. They're dead. They are focused on the spiritual or the physical dimension, not the spiritual dimension. And when Jesus comes into your heart, he gives you that water that lasts forever. 
You never have to go back to a well and say, I need more water because Jesus says here, it is a spring that wells up inside of you and that that spring never runs dry. Jesus never leaves, never forsakes. John 7.38, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Going back to the survival, water is supposed to keep you from being hungry, particularly if you drink lots of it. I think what Jesus is saying here, not only from the physical to the spiritual dimension, but I think what he is trying to tell her is, when you trust in me, you will be satisfied. You won't be searching anywhere else. You will only look to me who I will give you living water and you will never be unsatisfied with the decision that you make. Then, notice the woman said to him, this is where we understand that she misses it. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water again. You see, Jesus has used the well as a physical object to make a spiritual point. And now Jesus has spoken about the physical water, but also the spiritual water. And now she's starting to think, wait a minute. If he's going to give me living water and I never have to do this again, please give me some. But that's missing the point. The point was not that she would ever have to go back to the well again. The point is that she would be satisfied in Christ. When you're telling people about Jesus, I want you to understand this. When you are telling people about Jesus, you cannot make them understand. In fact, when you tell people about Christ, and I'm getting ready to get into this in a minute. When you tell people about Jesus, it is not ultimately your responsibility. And by the way, they're not going to get it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why sometimes when we tell people about Jesus, we have all kinds of problems. I get it. We, we want them to know Christ. I get that. And we go to great lengths, and I don't have a problem with that. But at some point, you have to realize that you are only the messenger, not the Messiah. That only Jesus can confront somebody and change their life. You simply give the message. Jesus gives this woman the message. She goes on, and she misses it. She misses it here, but I think she gets it later in the narrative. Jesus gives living water. This is what we should do with this because we're going to look at how Jesus evangelized right now. So share the gospel. Share the gospel. Jesus gives living water. So share the gospel. But whoever, well, I'm on the wrong one. Many, and this is verse 39. Skip over with me to verse 39. Now, this is what John records. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Listen to what she says. 
he told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. Samaritan woman confronts, Jesus confronts her at the well, give me a drink. He starts having a dialogue with her. She starts to understand, you may be a prophet. No, I'm not a prophet. I know where you're going with this. But she has an encounter with Jesus. Never forget for a moment that salvation at its core at its essence, at its heart, is an encounter with Christ. A personal encounter with Christ. And what was her testimony that was so powerful that had these Samaritan people, this village, this, this town, so in an uproar? This was her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Listen to verse 16. We didn't read it. Jesus said to her, go tell your husband and come here. The woman answered, Lord, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in your saying. I have no husband. For you have five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. I believe at that moment, the conversation in her life shifted. You go on and read it. She starts thinking, wait a minute, there's something. I don't know this guy. I've never met him. He's never met me. He knows nothing about my life. And here this woman went from the well, the physical well, and now the conversation has shifted in her mind to something different. How could this man know Jesus knew her. He knew about her life. And it should not shock us that Jesus knew this woman. Jesus knows you too. Psalm 139, 1 through 3, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. Not only does Jesus know the heart of the unbelievers, but he knows you too. He knows everything about your life. Why God called me to preach the gospel, no idea. But back when I was a little boy, I, and now on the day of my ordination, I realized at that point God had had something on my life for a long time. Why did he do that? I don't know. But God knew me. He knew my faults. He knew everything about me. And yet he still called me because, get this, he loved me. And I'm going to tell you something today. God loves he knows everything about you. Jesus knew what this woman needed. And it grabbed her. 
grabbed her. And she started thinking beyond this. She started thinking, there's something unique about this guy. Dr. Kenneth Gangle in his commentary writes, how did Jesus witness? He was friendly. He asked questions. He showed concern for human need. He faithfully explained the scriptures. And he emphasized good news for thirsty people. I want you to take this away today. This is one of the big ones I want you to take away. Witnesses are not responsible for converting people. Their task is to tell the truth about what they know. You do not need to worry about the results. You've heard me say this many times. Simple way to share your testimony. How it was before Christ how it was the moment you trusted in Christ and how it is now with Christ. That's it. Cut and dry. And I believe at that point the Holy Spirit begins to work in the heart and life of the individual that you witness to. And you can pray for them. I'm not saying don't pray for them. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, it is only our job to share. It is Christ's job to save. And when you have the encounter with Jesus Christ like I did October 12, 1981 in an abandoned church building with an army chaplain there leading me to saving faith, I still see that moment in my mind and I know it in my heart. That day I trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. That was not because of what the chaplain did, but because I was confronted with my own sin, my own inability to get to God, and I knew at that point I needed a Savior, and what happened was I was like the Samaritan woman at the well looking for anything I can to fulfill my life, but only Jesus could do that. And in that moment, I trusted in Christ. And it changed my life. Maybe not initially. Maybe it didn't look good initially, but the Holy Spirit was working on me. Brothers and sisters, this, this life of sharing the gospel is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Share it. Tell people. Talk to them about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The testimony now leads to belief. By the way, I've, I once heard a person say, my testimony is not powerful. <laughs> and I tell them, every testimony is powerful. Because you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's powerful. All people need to see is how Jesus has changed your life. Ultimately, if there's no change in your life, then how are they able to listen to what you have to say? So in verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. This woman's testimony, these town, they went to Jesus and they said, uh, Lord, or whatever they, they called him, would you please stay? And so Jesus agreed to stay two days. And as a result of that, now I want you to think about what one testimony, what one testimony did. One, a simple woman at the well. Watch, look at what happens. She goes back and she tells people, he knows everything that I did. That sparked this uproar and all the villages going to this where this spot happened where, where, where Jesus was they asked him to stay and many more believed because of his word 
pistuo. It means to put trust in something. And in this case, when Jesus talked to them about the word which he communicated, the word logos, which he is the logos, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God, he imparts to them the kingdom knowledge that he has about salvation, and they believed. They trusted in Christ. Ultimately, Every salvation is not based on how cunning we are, how wonderful we are, how elegantly we speak about salvation. Ultimately, it is a word from God in the heart of the individual that changes their life. Ultimately. He says many more. Not just more, but many more. One woman, one woman that would be passed by by, by Jews. One woman at a well that has an encounter with Jesus. Radically, because she shares that testimony, changes the life of that village. Changes it. And this next verse may seem harsh, but I've got it worked out. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. I first read that and I thought, well, that wasn't very nice. This woman shares her testimony and I started thinking, are they talking about they don't trust women's testimony? And then I thought to myself, because I like arguing with myself, and it, just as long as I don't say it out loud, I guess I'm okay and nobody walks upstairs and hears me arguing. The next line qualifies what he's saying. It's not like, you know, woman, not because of your testimony. Not what he's saying. I don't think he's, I don't think these Samaritans here are putting her down. Look at, look at what he says. For we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This man knows everything about me. And she's sharing that. That draws the interest of people. They go to Jesus. He shares the message of the kingdom of God. And then, and only then, do they have the confrontation with Jesus in their heart. And they are saved. So he is right to say, it's not only because of your testimony but it's because we have seen Jesus in our own hearts and we have trusted pistuo we have trusted in Christ for our own salvation and now our eyes have been opened brothers and sisters what would happen in Tolono if we started sharing our testimony what would happen in our workplaces if we started sharing our testimony, just talking about what Jesus has done in our lives? Could we see the same type of thing happen in those areas of our lives? Edwin Blum, correctly, faith based solely on the testimony of, an, of another is only secondary. True faith moves to its own experience and confrontation with Jesus. I want to put it this way, maybe make it under, easier to understand. We lead the person to the well. We tell them about the well. We show them the well in Scripture. 
we pray with them about the well, but it's only when they put their hand in and crank the water up of Jesus and put it in their heart that they have salvation. We only guide. We only lead. Jesus saves. Number one, only Jesus can satisfy. People have holes in their heart and they fill them with all kinds of stuff. This woman, by the way, there's also the issue of work salvation. She didn't want to go back and have to spend the, the time to go uh, 15, 20 yards down into the well and then back up. Jesus said, I just give it to you. Only Jesus can satisfy. You will always be thirsting and hungering for something else without Jesus. Second, some will not get it. And this is what you do when they don't get it. You pray, pray, pray. You got somebody in your life today? You've led them to the well. You've extended their hand to Jesus, and they just don't get it. Pray, pray. Pray. Because this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Number three, your testimony and my testimony is powerful in and of itself because God uses that testimony to reach other people. Don't let Satan come along and say, you know what, John? Look, your testimony's not that radical because Satan will tell you that. He'll tell you. And he'll put doubts in your mind. All you have to do is tell people what Jesus did in your life. Give them scriptures. John 3, 16, go the Roman road. You know the Roman road. We've talked about it before. But you give them scripture so that they can at least get knowledge of who this is. But ultimately, ultimately, it is about Jesus. But your, your testimony is powerful. How you came to know Jesus Christ can change lives, believe it or not. When was the last time you shared your testimony? I'm lucky I get to share it a lot up here. I shouldn't say lucky. I'm fortunate that I get to share my testimony, how I came to Christ. I want to encourage you as your pastor, share your testimony. It is valuable. It is important. If this Samaritan woman who was basically looked down by, even by probably the Samaritan men, the Jews, if this woman can cause an uproar in a town, you can too. Lastly, people will get saved when they have an encounter with Christ.